0: day, Fundamism community. We got a real gem for you today, but prior to introducing him, we'd like to shout out to our sponsor, Charlie Hustle, that's doing amazing things in the Kansas City community. If you know nothing of Charlie Hustle, go to charliehustle.com to learn more. If you know a lot of Charlie Hustle, you know that you probably don't have enough of their cool shirts, so you too go to charliehustle.com to learn more. Today, we have One of the youngest shareholders of Hub International, VP of the Kansas City location, and the amazing and biggest and most, uh, I mean, I call him the boss of LinkedIn, Mr. Scott Havens. What's good, Scott?
1: Ooh, wow. That was, uh, I feel like, uh, have you done media before in the past, like local television or sports? Uh,
0: Six, six times. Exactly six times.
1: Uh, so, uh, I, uh, I had a, a buddy of mine, Harry Campbell, he's former CEO of Dairy Vision, does a ton of public speaking, interview a bunch of CEOs. And then Joel Goldberg and Kendall Gammon did it. And I was like, wow, they are really good. I feel like you have a ton of TV practice because that was an incredibly, well, that's not an amateur, like a business person like me, I would have totally butchered that. That seemed like a pro.
0: Well, I think that if we really dissect it, I stumbled a little bit over what to call you in terms of LinkedIn, but uh, nevertheless, I appreciate your thoughtful words. Cut. But uh, coincidentally, what you did do while shedding light on, uh, and thoughtfulness on me is you kind of established what a big deal you are in your circle just now. You may not have noticed that, but oh yeah, you've been on the, the podcast circuit. You've been uh, talking to community leaders, to loud voices, uh, across Kansas City, that is how I became familiar with your name, and I've been kind of uh, watching your your journey uh, just very briefly over the course of probably the last four or five months, probably more so since the pandemic started. So, I really want to I really want to start with talking to you about that. But before we get too far down the path, one question that we ask every single guest brother is, "What do you do for fun?"
1: Um, my heaven is always either tailgating or being in a body of water with friends and refreshments. So if I'm tailgating a parking lot, like maybe a Chiefs Royals game and, and run into someone like yourself, or if I'm at a pool on a river, a lake, something like that. So that, that's what I would do for fun. Beautiful. Right, right now it's changing diapers with two little kids. So <laughs> not, not much going on.
0: How, how old are the children?
1: Um, we, my wife actually, and I just dropped our daughter off for her first day of daycare. So she's three months and our son's two and a half. And, uh, my wife's an angel. So it's also her first day back at work today. So a lot of big, a lot of big stuff going on this morning.
0: For sure. So I want to talk about that because, uh, obviously that's very relevant, uh, uh, today in terms of the topic of conversation, of the pandemic and daycare and, and all that stuff. But that's the whole point of the question: What do you do for fun? Right? Fundamism is the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. So, whatever you do to interrupt this, you know, this, these negative thoughts or things that may potentially be troubling you, or even to make a good day great, uh, is what I call fundamism. So, having things readily accessible, like a body of water uh, or talking to cool people, whatever it may be, I think that's important in getting you through whatever it is you're trying to get through. So. Let's talk talk about uh, dropping your child off for the first day of daycare because we just came through on the other side of society reopening, mm-hmm. albeit knowing that risk hasn't completely gone away. So where's your head at? Where's your wife's head at with that?
1: Uh, well, to stay on theme with um, how you reach people, I mean, we're very grateful. I think uh, there was a statistic uh, three, four weeks ago that 40% of people making under $40,000 a year are are unemployed right now. And so grateful was kind of the, I mean, we feel really lucky. Um, she works at Cerner. Um, I'm a partner in my firm, but it just pales in comparison what other people are going through. And so, um, you know, we, we just feel very lucky and fortunate. Um, our, we, our, our son's been back at daycare for about three weeks. So, Ah, uh, protective masks, temperature checks. Same parent picks up and drops off. Mm. Tons of hand washing. Um, and and actually, for a toddler that um, you know is usually sick a lot, uh, I don't know what that means in terms of being that he has not been sick. So, um, I don't know. Um, and, and am I allowed to ask you questions? How are your children doing?
0: Let's go. I love it. My children are, you- are our children. See, you you gave credit to your amazing wife, and here I am, my children. Uh, our children are awesome. Um, we made the conscious decision, and it was it was more so forced upon us by my mother, who is our children's best friend, uh, but also an at risk demographic. We were considering sending Brennan, um, our our four year old, who is named after Will Ferrell's character in stepbrothers. Brothers, and uh, that's right, Bam, uh, Pow. Uh, you also mentioned the Royals. Uh, his middle name is Royal, coincidentally as well. So.
1: But nevertheless, Baller, Kansas and he's show sponsored by Charlie Hutzel. Does this kid get any more Kansas City? <laughs>
0: uh, you know, what's funny about that is I've had folks. Did Rob uh,
1: Riggle b- baptize him or do his, uh, <laughs> see his godparent? I wish we got to
0: figure that out. But, uh, you know, I've had folks reaching out to me, um, individuals that, you know, there is a, there is a group of people and this is very smart. I haven't done it, but there's a group of people that actually track podcasts and proactively reach out and say, they even have one sheet, Scott Havens, on why they would be a perfect podcast guest. And wow. so, I, yeah, it's crazy. So it's, it's like a speaker one sheet of all the things that you've accomplished, but it's as a podcast guest. So I've gotten like three or four recently in the last couple of weeks. And uh, what's interesting about that is this one gentleman, he actually said I know that your target market is Kansas City, and you're very Kansas City proud, and I'm out of whatever city. So what's interesting about that is my market isn't Kansas City. I just have so much Kansas City pride that it comes across that my only market is Kansas City. And you and I talked about this before. It's actually one of the markets that I do the least amount of work in, which we could talk about here in a brief moment. But going back to what you said, our kids are amazing we made the conscious decision not to send Brennan to uh, summer camp or, or, summer care because my mother said that if we did that, then she wouldn't be able to come around as much for fear of potentially being at risk. And uh, our children love their beep so much. That was my beep. next question. Is <laughs> so beep beep, that's her nickname because every time she rolls up to the house, she honks the horn uh, ever since they were babies. So her name is beep, but uh, that's, That's the decision. I I would say that I don't have a ton of fear anymore. Um, I just believe in making logical decisions, protecting yourself, your family. Um, And the unfortunate thing is, you know, when you're out and about, you can't uh, protect yourself from other individuals' belief systems or behaviors or whatever it may be. So you just really got to be
1: conscious. Exactly right. No, uh, I think uh, Cerner sent out a company-wide email. I don't know if it was confidential, but they used the word uh, values. So instead of using a word that could trigger, uh, people coming back at each other, they just said, whatever your values, um, are, you know, that's what your decision is and and what you're trying to do. Uh, Elena Mueller, the author of coffee, lunch, coffee, eight years ago, taught me that speakers are going to generate more commerce outside of Kansas City. Kansas City is the 32nd Someone threw a 35th, 32nd, 35th largest metro in the country, about 2.5 million people. But if we go to a Houston or a Chicago, there's 10 Kansas cities in there. And so people, uh, you know, it's also like, uh, you know, you got a guest from out of town. It, it adds some cachet. And so I would always assume that, um, you know, in terms of booking speaking events, people are going to want you from out of, out of Kansas City. For sure.
0: That's a great point. It's also, you know, it kind of runs parallel to that beautiful painting or beautiful, uh, you know, World Series trophy or whatever you have in your house. Uh, that's a that's a replica, just so you know. Um, it's not what that book. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that that piece of something in your heart that has become uh, you've become numb to because you see it all the time. Uh, but somebody comes into your house and they're like, "Oh, Scott, that's amazing. Where would you get it?" You know, you and myself are so active in Kansas City that we're kind of just like, we're there. We're the painting that everybody sees. So, um, but, you know, shedding some light on you, uh, because this is something that you do a really uh, amazing job at. You are just a legend in the LinkedIn network space. And so I had the, you know that, don't shake your head. I
1: I paid Paul to say that. Just everyone knows.
0: So... Dude, I uh, I cannot stand this term influencer that gets tossed around uh, because, the, uh, you know, to me, there's a negative connotation. And oftentimes you see this influencer term and you follow influencers and you wonder, like, is this your authentic self? Is this your true self? Is this you all the time? I really believe that there's power and vulnerability and authenticity. And so I've been seeing you connected to everybody on LinkedIn. I mean, You're always getting tagged. You always have some thoughtful word to share with others. And for one reason or the other, you start tagging me and stuff on LinkedIn. Now, we had never met. We had never talked. I didn't know you. Uh, We hadn't connected. And now, all of a sudden, you're tagging me in your LinkedIn posts. And as a result, people are starting to follow me more. They're starting to shout me out. And so, I don't know what drew your interest in me. But what that showed me and you is that, man, you're a genuine dude. Like you you aren't out there just trying to be a a quote-unquote influencer. You're you're trying to drive true change and be authentic. And I knew that, Scott, when we finally connected on the phone. And uh, I said, you started to try to identify ways to help me build revenue with no expectation of anything in return. And the reason why you do that in conversation was, um, right now, the speaking realm has kind of been... uh, it's been down, right? You're not doing a lot of live events. I'm not doing a live events. You knew that. So you said, Paul, oh, I know you got a family. Let's think about some ways to generate some revenue. And so we start talking about. It. And then I said to you, How does this benefit you, man? Like, like, why are you saying this to me? What what is this? And you said, Man, I, I just first of all, I love our city. And I love helping others out. I know oftentimes not everybody is thinking about things in a manner that's truly gonna move. Um, themselves forward if they are always putting others before them uh, before themselves so he, so you said you know i feel like if i could boost you up and you could see some success well first of all that'd make me feel amazing but also man i like to be associated with cool people and so my brand associated with your brand even if it's just tagging each other on linkedin would be amazing for our following and that right there blew me away so that is a very long-winded way to say how did the hell did you get this way?
1: <laughs> no. And uh, I started tagging you because it's clear that you are super genuine and that you weren't doing it to promote anything other than helping others. And then helping others is your brand. And you were super nice in just mentioning that I was like, Hey, well, one, if I help you and I associate my brand with you, people are going to think I'm cool and then I'm going to make more money because we can associate with each other. So there's, there, there's value in once people create something, and you've created what you've done on your own, I've created what I've done on my own, so we, we're beholden to no one. And so it's our own personal decision. No uh, corporation or company uh, tells us what to do. We vet everything ourselves. And so it is genuine. <laughs> um, when I was a junior at the University of Kansas, I was failing miserably at school. And my parents are like, hey, you're going to Juco and you're staying home and you need to get your stuff together. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, I knew this was coming. And so my dad was uh, in technology and he was like, hey, this LinkedIn thing helps you connect. And so I've always loved being someone that knows a lot of people. That was kind of my value. Uh, I'm dyslexic, so I really struggled in school. So I always helped connect with others. Not because I was maybe the most friendly guy, I loved people, but I needed their help. I mean, I didn't know what the notes were, I didn't know what the test was. I had to, I had to bring people together in order to get through life because that's what society expected of me. I had to, I had to graduate college. Mm. And so LinkedIn was there when I was home by myself with nothing to do. And so I adopted the technology. Uh, you receive positive reinforcement when you're getting ahead of your peers in something. Just like whether it's uh, you know Malcolm Gladwell has a lot of great books and he writes a lot about this you know in terms of you know if you're one of the best and what you're doing even though it's the C league and you're the top player you still you know you still get a lot out of it even though you're in the A league but you may be a bottom player so I was in like some F G or H league of LinkedIn (laughs) in college but I was compared to my peers it was good so and still to this day I want to be better than people my own age. So I just really work hard at it because it gives me positive reinforcement and it makes me feel good to know that I'm good at something. And so I wish I had some great way of like, man, I love helping others or, but that's like my subconscious thought. Yeah. But in general, I think other, I mean, others benefit from it. I, I just, uh, once you start shouting out people that are, people know that you're like getting paid for it or... You're doing it because, well, I shout out clients. Be fair, that's a client of mine. I always do that. But if you're just shouting them out to to do it, no one cares and no one likes you. Also, why do people on LinkedIn like pump their business? Like no one cares. Like no one. I'm in insurance. No one ever is like, hey, tell me about your work comp loss ratio. (laughs) Hey, tell me about. Hey, you need deposits and banking, or hey, tell me about your PPP loan. Like no one cares. And I get, I I can't believe people like you and I get that, but I feel like maybe, I feel like 95% of LinkedIn doesn't get it.
0: No, you're right. Well, what's interesting to me about that phenomenon was, first of all, it was a conscious choice of you to throw energy at LinkedIn. I see so many folks right now, uh, especially our age, because you and I are very similar in age and demographic, Uh, privileged white males, I mean, which I would love to talk to you about. Uh, that's a very hot topic right now and very warranted. Um, But you decided to throw a lot of energy at LinkedIn, whereas a lot of folks in our demographic were throwing energy at uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And not as many very deliberately threw energy at LinkedIn. And you're seeing the fruits of your labor. And only now I feel like LinkedIn's really getting the props and the credence that it deserves in moving your business or your brand forward. So... That was conscious based on your father and a conversation. It was, you two, ten, right? it was
1: 10 years ago. Wow. Or wow. even longer. I mean, it was like 12 years ago. So that was, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's, I guess uh, that was just luck then. Cause I was blindly <laughs> feeding into something that I had no idea. Cause Twitter I news, Instagram is more B2C. B2B though is, is LinkedIn for sure.
0: For sure. Well, if you think about um, your, your success, uh, knowing that you have a very long runway and you haven't uh, accomplished the bulk of what you want to, because we talked about some of your your lifelong goals uh, when we first met. Um, if you think about the success that you've had thus far, what uh, percentage of it do you attribute to networking and your deliberate uh, approach to LinkedIn? Uh,
1: well, getting into the conversation you're talking about privilege, uh, it kind of rolls into there. If you're talking of 10 rungs of a ladder, I was definitely in the middle, if not on the sixth rung. But I was trying to compete against everyone on the ninth and 10th rung. And so, um, you know, when I got my first job cold calling door-to-door, 50 to 70 doors a day in person or trying to knock out 100 calls on the phone, I know that after three to three and a half months, your shoes will wear out because when you step out of the car, the driver's side, you're going to have your left heel swift. And every time it's going to wear out. And so most people would have quit that job. But I had no other option. How was I going to pay my tab at saloon and still hang out with my friends uh, and have enough money to have a beer on Sunday at Kelly's? Because I just had to do it. And so I don't think um, I saw the vision of LinkedIn. I don't think I saw the vision of working hard. I just had no other option. And I was trying to compete to beat someone else. And so uh, the other thing that I've done, and and it was really nice, the Business Journal wrote a really nice article on it. No one would meet with me because I didn't have any money for a country club. I wasn't anyone like, I didn't have connections, but the women who mean business um, were super nice to me. And so eight, nine years ago, I started partnering with all women and they accepted me. And it's been the best business decision I've ever made. My business partner's name is Melissa Oliva. She's a single mom, two young kiddos from Clinton, Missouri. And so she's very self made. And so we've been very lucky to have success in what is typically, um, you know, this could be a little controversial, uh, a generationally wealthy business. Um, Typically, you know, if you know about reoccurring revenue or if you know about large transactions, those are in the banking, financial advising, real estate or insurance realm. And when you're in a city, uh, let's say west of the Mississippi, it's going to be less than five generations deep. And if you're not part of that third or fourth generation, you probably don't know about it. Mm. It's kind of like if you don't know that wealth revolves from the plaza to 135th along state line, you probably don't know about it. For sure. And so I didn't. And so these are all lessons I've learned by just getting my, my behind kicked.
0: Yeah. well, I want to talk to you a little bit about, and I'm sure our listeners would be fascinated to hear about your journey and uh, cold calling and door-to-door sales. Um, we had talked previously about me spending the bulk of my corporate career in a call center. And so I'm very well versed in that life and 50 to 70 calls a day and, and being challenged in monotony. And how do you create fun in that? And yes. how,
1: do, how do you know? Do you ever watch the show Workaholics, Scott? Uh, I saw almost every season, except for like the last two seasons. One of the greatest shows
0: on TV, but that was literally, uh, so it's gone now. It was on comedy central. Uh, it was, it was, it was pretty, um, don't you let your be kids pressed. watch it. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta be fresh. That's right. Uh, dude, it was so amazing. Cause it was three dudes that lived that call center life. And I feel like that's what I was always trying to do when I worked in a call center is, how, how do you keep it fresh? How do you make it fun? How do you differentiate yourself? Knowing that the moment you take a call or the moment that you make a call, this person doesn't want to talk to you. They're angry. Uh, they feel as though you're, you're infringing upon uh, their time. They don't want to be sold to. So you got to find a way quickly to create connection, very similar to how you approach LinkedIn. So talk to us about your door-to-door sales approach. You, so have you met Harry Campbell? No, but I want to. We uh, we now, uh, as a byproduct of you, are our, our connections on, on LinkedIn.
1: His book comes out at the end of the week. Yes. Uh, and uh, you are the two, in my, in my knowledge, uh, I know 6,800 people, there's a little plug, on LinkedIn in Kansas City. But at the, you two specifically almost should think of collaborating on a roadshow for speaking for call centers. Because... In today's current economy, where we see a ton of unemployment, hopefully call centers are going to be a huge opportunity for Kansas City, specifically the T-Mobile and Sprint merger. A lot of the customer care is going to be coming to the Sprint campus. So just from a speaking opportunity, I'm super excited for you both because you should be speaking and getting paid to to talk to those folks. So, But you want to know that whole cold calling thing? Yeah, I just want to know about your approach. How did you? Well, well you got to tell me. Is it is it Boiler Room, Glen Gary, Glen Ross? What is your favorite movie about cold calling?
0: Oh, oh man!
1: I is mean, I Wolf don't of really. Wall Street.
0: I think it's got to be The Wolf of Wall Street, solely because Leo is just a, an absolute beast, uh, mm-hmm. and I liked uh, I liked uh, who's the other little short guy? Uh, that's amazing, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. I love that role and his teeth in it. The whole thing was awesome.
1: So let me break the news to everyone—the whopping, maybe like hundred people that are listening. I don't know. If, I don't know if there's more than that. You have a huge no, audience, dude.
0: Oh, hey, we're hitting—we're hitting about four thousand every single month,
1: right? So we're
0: kind of, yeah, we're on the up and up. You son. have to be the most
1: viewed podcast, I think, in Kansas City. Then
0: no way. Uh,
1: I, the, think um, I, gotta, I think it's the gotta startup be startup
0: hustle. Are you familiar with startup hustle? Yeah. So they're on. uh, they are sitting at, I think he gets 40,000 uniques a month. Now, the difference between him and uh, and the Fundamism podcast is he drops one every single day. So obviously a lot more opportunity for viewership. I just do one a week because I don't want it to be a job, Scott. Part of this is like, yeah. I want it to be fun and lighthearted and I don't want it to be something that I don't look forward to where I consistently just like, oh my gosh, here we go again. But no, we got a good listener base. And the cool thing is, is it's it's not a lot of Kansas City folk. I mean, there's there's some, there's there's a bunch, but you know, I'll go do Wisconsin viewer or, or McKesson Pharmaceutical or you know oh. some other uh, some other you know awesome company, and there'll be five to ten to thirty people that follow the podcast as a result. So don't sell yeah, a actually, short for yourself.
1: Well, you're. I mean, it's I I I would argue if you're getting four thousand a month, that'd be better than startup hustle. I don't know. They're unique. But, they're, but neither here nor there. I'm actually... The reason why I was talking to Chase of Charlie Hustle this morning is Andy Rieger, Matt Basinger. I don't think we've told anyone publicly, uh, but we are starting a short-form podcast on interviewing CEOs in Kansas City. Wow. In a very short format because we just think it's an opportunity for people to listen to three or four interviews in a short format on their way to work. Now, COVID-19, not a lot of people are going to work, but We're going to have some fun uh, uh, doing it. and It'll be super exciting, but that's that's amazing. So what I was going to say is when people watch the movie Wolf of Wall Street or they watch Boiler Room and they're like, wow, that's crazy. I can't believe they do that. That is actually the origin of a cold call is you pitch something familiar that someone can understand in a short period of time. You present yourself in a non-threatening, trustworthy way. And you get them to open the door to have a conversation. Now the difference is with cold calling is you're not pitching them any stocks that are never going to make money. But <laughs> they what you are pitching money. is a is a, is a uh, you know like a select quote just went public, which yeah. is any for anyone that doesn't know in Kansas City that's a huge deal. A ton of wealth was created for people at a company in Kansas City, which is which is impactful to the city. Um, because they'll invest and they'll grow and they'll create more jobs. And so whether it's like, quote, I worked for a company called worldwide express and I was simply trying to find out what they were shipping so I could switch them over to UPS. So I was a broker for UPS and FedEx. Think of Wilson from uh, Tom Hanks movie Castaway. There you go. They did such a good job of branding that you would even say the term FedEx it. You know, you're going you're gonna to send something. And so UPS had groundwork to do. And the only way to do that was the cold call. And so anything from Raymore Peculiar, Sedalia, St. Joe, Leavenworth, Lawrence, Baldwin, and everything in between, I've cold called all 71,000 companies in person. I've also cold called them over the phone four or five times. And that gave me my education and business and understanding. So when someone could throw out an industry like... Wolf of Wall Street are like a I could I could associate those businesses as if you gave me a certain brand. And so, you know, if you were talking about advertising, I could throw out VML, Bernstein Rain, Ascend Learning, stuff like that. So you just associated things, and I could even tell you who is selling different phone systems and Lenexa as opposed to Liberty. And so you just you learn and then people would open the door because they assumed you knew what you were talking about and i was always and still am i'm a mile wide and an inch deep but you know people trust me because i do genuinely want a good outcome for their organization but cold calling is is awesome and i just like the light bulb went off in my head when you're talking about you speaking to folks that do call centers like people should totally hire you like the, if if their strategy was like Hey, I'm just going to have Paul come speak once a month, and then Paul's going to run our games. Like that's all you would need, and you'd come in, do the awards, do the recognition. Yeah, because yeah. like that is the. I mean, if you're young, a lot of people don't realize if you're not born wealthy, um, you don't choose to go into a call center. No one's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a telemarketer. They have no other choice. I had no other choice. Right, for sure. They make money. Well, if you you have no other choice and you're stuck, you might as well have some fun. And maybe (laughs) like Batman and the Dark Knight, crawl your way out of the tunnel.
0: Yes. You know, and so we talked about this a little bit on our call that um, one of my challenges in the brand that I've created, and it's been very deliberate, mind you, that my brand is fun, right? And fundamism and to be lighthearted because I know, and you know, that if people aren't thinking about all the crap that's not working, if they're not thinking about how much they hate their boss, if they're not thinking about the shitty culture, excuse my language, uh, and they're thinking about being appreciated and the value earmuffs. they offer. Yeah, yeah, earmuffs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't know why you always got to do it in front of the baby. That's all you got to say is earmuffs.
1: But Sorry talk about culture. Sorry to interrupt.
0: No, it's perfect. Um, you know, as you know, there's a lot more substance to what I do than just talking about fun. But fun is my entry point. That's, that's what I can showcase. That's what people see. And then when I get in, we can really dissect where the company culture is and how to drive productivity and how to create meaningful one-on-ones and energizing team huddles. Because that's something that not a lot of organizations do. You know, whenever I do consulting, Scott, one of the first questions I always ask folks is, how often, now listen to the words that I'm choosing, very deliberate. How often do you schedule your, or deliberately schedule your developmental one-on-ones? How often do you do it? How often do you meet? Assuming that they do it, right? Well, what do you mean, they always ask? Well, we typically do their annual review. We do them quarterly. Oh, or when they mess up, right? Oh, so you don't schedule, regularly schedule one-on-ones. You don't, uh, You're or you're not conscious about the development of people. If you're constantly reaching out in gotcha moments to say that people screwed up, well, you're driving negative behaviors. But to your point, if you're holding meetings every single month on R&R, rewards and recognition, and you're showering people with praise, and you're acknowledging people for a job well done, and you got a board up on the wall that has company verbatims and customer service reps, uh, kudos of what they're getting, well, then it's showing people that you truly care and that they're bringing value. And as a result, They'll be more willing to ride for you and produce at a, a level that connects with your consumer base. So going back real quick
1: to your approach, we'll one, quick, go, one ahead, quick go, go ahead. Instead of paying a sales manager $150,000, grand, they can pay a consultant $30,000, $40,000 annually to do that. Secondly, I would throw a third layer on your question. How often are there one-on-one uh, feedback meetings rescheduled? Oh, that's a great point. Because when they when they one are they scheduling them, but two they are rescheduled by crazy. Yes, and and um, I'm completely guilty of it. My partners are completely guilty of it. Everyone I know, in fact, no one really starts a meeting internally until it's ten minutes into it, just because as a society <laughs> that's what we've done. I know Amazon has a rule against that, and and that's a really cool thing to study. But in general, though how often are they rescheduling them because they, it's, they, they, they're there. And what people don't realize is, Oh, that's great. Talk about fundamentalism. That's great. Talk about culture. No, if you have millennials or Gen Zs, you can pay them $10,000 less and retain them for two, three, four years by simply knowing how they're doing on a weekly basis and giving them feedback. They will gladly accept less money. They will gladly spend way too much money on their brunch on Sundays. They will <laughs> gladly overspend and not buy a house. Um, but you can keep them. And so very few companies have figured that out. And a lot of the companies people read about in the business journal is the cool companies. Yes. They figured it out. Well, guess Talk what? They're not, they're not doing it because they're loving their employees. They're not doing it because they, I'm sure they do. But they're doing it because they can pay them less and make more money. Mm-hmm. And they figured it out. They just disguise it as, "Hey, we got a company bar. Hey, we have a company chef. Hey, we have one-on-one feedbacks. Those are all great, and I actually encourage them because it, people should be happy. I think the study says most people is it like seventy-two thousand dollars a year is like statistically when people become like where they don't they may or may not want to make more money. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, to your point, what I mean that feedback is. Critical to the success right. for everyone to be employed pay your mortgage, pay your car payment, etc.
0: Well, so that takes us to uh, our our first interaction on the phone. Now, mind you, this is our second conversation that we've ever had. I feel like I've known you for a lifetime.
1: Uh, well, it's because we're the same age and we both can quote the same movies. That's true. So I just, <laughs> that I'm just true. assuming that when you were talking about the paintings that I have in my house, like one, I have none. <laughs> all from like Nebraska Furniture Mart or like the, whatever my wife picks out. But I saw the one of Dumb and Dumber with uh, Harry and uh, Jim Carrey on the yeah. on the motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, they're just smiling. <laughs> that's the painting I want, but my wife won't let me get it.
0: Where would you put it? I mean, that's the question.
1: Uh, they, well. I would love to put it when you walked in the house, but that would, <laughs> but probably it would probably go to the garage or the basement just to let people know when they come in. Hey, this guy, this guy plays for keeps.
0: He gets it. And well, so, so I knew that. I knew that about you. I knew that about you because you say that you're not into art. And then you come to this podcast today, rocking a fricking tuxedo shirt. Tell me you're not into art. Look at that bow tie right there. It's
1: got my name on the back too. <laughs> it's a jersey.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, so our first conversation, we're talking about uh, how to get ahead, right? and and specifically you're challenging me and i'm challenging you uh, and who are we we literally just met and you said man i'd like to challenge you and then you talk about you know some of the things that you've accomplished on linkedin and some of the connections and 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 some of the kudos that that i gave you earlier in terms of being the one of the youngest shareholders and all that stuff and you kept attributed it to the grind you know like Dude, I'm diligent. I, I bust I bust ass and, you know, I go hard and blah, blah, blah. And I said, Scott, you know, you keep saying that, um, you know, grinding and whatever got you to where you are. I know no less than 10 to 15 people that have commented on you, that have introduced me to you, that have said things about you and what they know. And not one of them have said that, man, that guy is just a grinder. He just goes hard. No, they say that you're great at connecting with people. You're great at understanding the value of others and relationships. Now, as as we are, are introspective and we identify where we are, where we're headed, and how we aspire to get there, it's easy to shed light on the things that we think are getting us there, uh, and also not shed as much light on the awesome features and, and things that, that we have. But I believe that what gets you specifically Scott Havens in the door is your ability to connect with others and uh, the value and priority that you place on relationships. Now, when people connect to you or with you and they see your tenacity and grind, well, then it's even that much better because the Wolf of Wall Street was a grinder. He was also an asshole, right? And spent years in jail. So they go hand in hand. My point is, um, this, this this love for people or relationships, and you downplay it a lot uh, in the conversations that we've had, too. Um, where did that come from? How did you get that?
1: Under the understanding of about what makes people tick? Or... Yeah,
0: for sure. And realizing that if you throw energy into connecting people, then ultimately it'll benefit not only them, but you as well.
1: So, um, everyone always says, you know, in college, it's not the grades you make, it's the hands you shake or whatever cheesy comment. But, you know, if you have the most brilliant idea in the world, that's awesome, but no one cares. And if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, no one cares. And so if you can't connect someone to someone else that's going to pay a monetary value for it, just like the open market selling or buying a house, it it doesn't mean anything. And so people have always told me, you need to learn, you need to become an expert, you need to get good at something. And I just never listen. I still don't. Um, Because I don't think it matters. Unless you know the market and understand what the value is and how to connect others to create commerce... Um, You won't know. And for me, the reason why I dig into the story of, you know, for instance, I really dug into your past to understand that you jumped without a parachute and figured it out. And a lot of people that have success and they see all these amazing accolades is, well, they were going to make it no matter what. They just hung on long enough. And so I like knowing that Paul, he took a huge risk, created his own world, and did everything on his own. And granted, you had people helping you along the way, but it wasn't like someone was financially bankrolling you. Sure. And so for me, I asked those questions because that's how I formed trust with people. Mm. And if someone just is, if we're just going to refer business back and forth, that's fine. 95% of people I don't even do that with, then there's 5% that I do. But then there's our relationship where I'm just like, how do I learn from Paul? Wow, he can think on his feet. I haven't seen something like that since Grant Goody, where people just literally just want you to speak because you can analyze the situation live and make really thoughtful and intelligent. Uh, and uh, like when you challenge me, like you are so right. No one ever goes, oh man, that guy cold call him and do business with him. They want to do business with me sometimes for superficial reasons. Mm-hmm. He knows a lot of people. He's a member at this country club. He's achieved this success at a young age. The Business Journal wrote about him, he and wears tuxedo so, shirts. You, well, that's that's just <laughs> good. we're hanging out. But I mean, like, yeah, people want to do that, and I'm wrong in thinking that people like my hustle story. And so I'm trying to learn and figure out how to incorporate that. Like, I used to always have a knock against people that were born on third base and had 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 already achieved a lot just because of their situation. And then I realized like, well, shoot, 90% of the people I'm interacting with started out on third base. So I got to quit saying that story because I'm really insulting people that I'm doing business with. And so I'm learning and you're, you're helping me learn that no one cares about kind of like I made fun of people. Like no one cares what they post on business. I guess what I should be learning help me. I don't think anyone really cares about the grind. Do they?
0: So that's an interesting topic because we just broached the the whole podcast, The Startup Hustle. And I know countless uh, Instagram folks that are out there and speakers making a strong living on just doing the damn thing, working your tail off, right? And, and grinding. So when you said, it hit me like a ton of bricks just now, when you said, I'm wrong, I don't think you're wrong. Uh, I think whatever you attribute your success to is your narrative. That's what you see. I think that there is a wealth of other uh, possibilities that it could be attributed to. There are folks out there, Scott, that see you as a grinder and they attribute their success to them. I would argue that's probably not as many as you believe it to be. However, you're not wrong. We're just talking about different perspectives, which is the you and fun, right? Understanding others' perspectives. And what you magnificently just communicated is that by asking questions, And by showing a genuine interest in others and by not making it about yourself, but rather being inquisitive about others, well, then they get the opportunity to tell you what their perspective is. And you're going to hear through whatever words they articulate what resonates with them most. Because if you're asking questions and I say, man, you know, I just admire the fact that you're out there every single day. You put yourself out there every day you post. Well, you understand that one thing I value is drive and tenacity. And so now you know, well, that's my angle. I'm going to position myself as a grinder and it's gonna resonate with them. Whereas if I ask you questions and you say, man, the one thing I admire about you is your love for people and kindness and and the fact that you're just authentic. Well, I know that that's what you value, so that's now my angle. So I don't know, man. What I want you to take away from this, hopefully, is that whether you're wrong or right, you are. You are whatever you say you are but there is a whole different perspective of individuals that would say the exact opposite.
1: Yeah, do you do, you do sales coaching as well? Yes, sir, I do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that is, uh, that because that is a, uh, I've literally, I mean, you, I've been through the ringer on sales coaching just because that's what we do, but I don't think anyone's ever given that perspective of why people approach things the way that they, they do. Just like I give a KU comment, it's like Bill Self says, his greatest attribute is being a chameleon and being yes. able to adapt and so i guess i need to quit think and, and when i originally heard that i thought that was an insult because no one wants to be a chameleon or a used car salesman but in, in a lot of ways it's a huge attribute to be able to relate and connect to people i mean it's what politicians do so well as, and so sure. but we don't want to relate ourselves to certain brands so it's very interesting
0: well, and to be clear, I'm not saying be disingenuous because oh, no. because we've we established that you're a hard worker and tenacious, but we've also established that you're kind and thoughtful and authentic. And so if you showcase either one of those things, you're not being disingenuous. It's just the angle that's going to resonate most with them. And that's what I think Bill Self does is, yes, he is a chameleon, but he's not demonstrating somebody that he's not. He might be 1%, 2 to 5% of what he's showcasing, right? And just really shedding a light on it, but it's still inside of him. He's not being somebody that is completely inauthentic, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, it's like a chameleon conductor knowing which notes to hit yes. at certain times and what to emphasize to get the message across as a communicator. So very, very interesting sure. stuff. So uh, I'm always like, hey, how do I wrap up? And then I'm like, well, this isn't my show. So listen,
0: (laughs) you got a 10 o'clock. I want to, I want to broach one last subject with you because we said we are going to, and I always want to fulfill on commitments. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but in the call center space, one of the things I admire about it is its diversity. So growing Mm -hmm. up, I was around all walks of people, all different types of culture, all sexes, all, uh, sexual orientations. And gosh, I made it, it made me feel so, uh, more, so so much more uh, respectful and knowledgeable of surroundings outside of what I was accustomed to. Right now, we're living in a crazy, crazy divisive society. Uh, the, the stuff that happened with George Floyd on camera was absolutely ridiculous and crazy. And what I can't stand right now is the folks that are so outspoken in the acts of others, but aren't as outspoken in, in that act of the murder, Right. And I'm going to take it even one step further in saying that there's so many out there right now, Scott, that are, are, um, are, are poo-pooing how people are handling it uh, and saying, well, what you're doing about it isn't productive. It's not helping. But very few, Scott, are offering up realistic solutions of what could potentially work or how to do it. So I know that this is a very, very deep subject that we're going to cover in a minute or two Tell me your stance on diversity and experience and what are your thoughts on everything that's going on in society right now?
1: I think the more that we all learn about diversity and inclusion, the more we realize we don't know. And so it's a journey that everyone needs to go on and it's a journey that everyone should be open-minded to. Um, And when I was watching the news, uh, a local reporter said, you know, I'm not, I'm just telling you that People uh, prayed because they prayed. I'm telling you that they protested because they're protesting. I'm telling you they sprayed graffiti because they sprayed graffiti. So I would encourage people, watch local news. Uh, what is actually going on in your community, not what someone thinks about it. Um, that's a great way to do it. From a Kansas City perspective, Mayor Quentin Lucas is amazing. Um, you you. If we were, if he was not the mayor, I would be really worried about things going on in Kansas City. But just know that he's going to extend an open hand and a hug. I know it's COVID nineteen. He's he's going to be there, and I think he he is a rare person that can command a crowd. If there were things that were um, not going well. Um, But people should be frustrated and they are frustrated. They should be protesting. They are protesting. And, um, you know, uh, unfortunately with cameras, we're going to see more of this. And, um, you know, it's it's, it's a very, very complicated subject that I hope that um, we continue to just shed light on it and have people understand it and not so much... Feel what what certain media outlets think about it, but actually listening to um, people in the community and having those conversations. Um, and I credit a lot of my knowledge um, to the Centurions Leadership Program, which is through the Kansas City Chamber of Commerce. I grew up in a bubble where uh, it was really interesting. The the everyone's socioeconomic status was very within. Uh, this is going to sound horrible. Within a couple hundred thousand dollars. Wow, that was bad. But it was that's where I grew up. I grew up in a suburb where every fourth house was the same. And I think every fourth house worked at Sprint at the time during the nineties. And so really the conversation I don't think is so much around race as it is race and poverty. For sure. And um, you know, uh that that is understanding what someone goes through on a daily basis, you know, when when I visit the boys and girls club. Uh, that's close to the plaza and I realized that most of the children have never been to the plaza in their life. Hmm. What? How's that possible? It's four miles away. Well, you know, just from, you know, well then how do they get food? There's not a grocery store. Well then how do they, how do they have, you know, how do they do after school? Like who picks them up? They walk home at nine o'clock at night in a very dangerous, you know, so, you know, what, why did they, why did they steal? When they were hungry, they didn't have anything. I mean, so there. there's so many things. No one wakes up one day to, to be in the situation that they're in. They're, they're born into it. And it's very, very complicated. And so, again, the more I learn about it, the more I don't know. And I would heavily just suggest to people that if they're looking for an answer, they're probably not going to find one. But they will find, if they understand what's going on in their local community, Maybe a little bit more empathy, and right now empathy is is what I think people need to learn. Because before they make a comment of, you know, are you more likely to get pulled over because of the color of your skin. And I say yes. Well, no, I don't want I don't want you to come at. at I me. Mean, that's scary for me to say because now I feel like everyone's going to come at me with a different point of view. But what I'm saying is, you are more likely to be pulled over, and. And if you want me to tell you why, I don't, I mean, let's sit down for four hours.
0: Yeah, and have a discussion. Talk about it
1: because let's have a conversation because it's going to take four hours for you to truly understand my thoughts and your thoughts and how we can be productive and how we can connect. And so, you know, local news, local leaders, if people have concerns or they want to help people that are in Um, the government, that are in the law enforcement, that are in the community, they can help you further your understanding, but there's not going to be an answer.
0: For sure. What I heard you just say is that in it taking four hours to have a conversation or dialogue, a realistic conversation about this, that I really just did you a disservice and bringing it up in the last two minutes of our
1: conversation. Oh, no, I think you and I... I It's it's, it's interesting, yeah, we're both suburban kids that probably share the same viewpoint, but you know, it's it's exposure and um, and I am by far not an expert. I'm not saying I know anything. I'm just saying I've, I have a little bit of information based upon a program I went through through the Kansas City Chamber of Commerce that I've learned. I have no idea what I'm talking about. and But well, I do know that local leaders can help you, can guide you.
0: And I'll, I'll leave you with this. So you asked, you know, I'm always looking to close and it's not my show. Here's the power close. One thing that you do know Uh, and you know very, very well, is the power of love and kindness. And so an old ancient Chinese philosopher by the name of Lao Tzu once said that kindness in words creates confidence. Kindness in thought, well, that creates profoundness. But kindness in giving, well, that creates love. And ultimately, what I know about you, Scott, is that you're constantly giving love. And there's no risk in that. There's no risk in waving to a stranger and saying hello. There's no risk in telling somebody that they're valued. There's no risk in saying that I ride with you and I respect your perspective. It may make you uncomfortable. It may make you feel like you're putting yourself out there, but the benefit far outweighs any potential negative thoughts that come to you. And if we were all more vocal in love and sharing kindness like you do regularly on LinkedIn and in the two conversations that we've had now, I think that those that, that have hate in their heart will be showcased and they'll have no uh, refuge but to either reflect on where they are or get left behind. So from the bottom of my heart, Scott Havens, I would like to say thank you for being a guest on the Fundamism podcast. I look forward to what's next in our relationship and you challenging me and uh, likewise, my friend.
1: Thank you, Paul, so much. I really appreciate it.
0: You bet. To the Fundamism podcast listener, we couldn't do it without you. Uh, our goal is to create love, kindness, joy, fun, and fulfillment in the lives of others. So go out and have some fun today and hopefully create some fun in the lives of somebody around you. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you and we'll catch you next time. Nooses.